Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. As Brian said, I'm Kirk Bodie. I'm a part of the preaching team here. We meet every week and review messages. Um, I'm not on staff. I'm a lawyer trending toward retirement. Um, last week, Barbara and I weren't here. We were in Boston because the, uh, at the annual Christian Legal Society Conference. And yes, I said that right, Christian Legal Society. And I know, I know what you're thinking. They said, Kirk, where in the world did you find another Christian lawyer? And I said, hey, there were three of us, so that's cool. Um, no, the room, matter of fact, the room we, we were, there was about 500 uh, attorneys, spouses, judges, legislators, uh, uh, one Supreme Court justice from, from uh, Florida spoke, and it was a wonderful time, and re- be reassured that the legal profession is not lost. There is a strong remnant of people in the legal profession that are seeking Christ wholeheartedly. So, now to recap our series, we're in, we're in a series of the book of Colossians in the Bible, and if you want to turn in your Bible, it's in the New Testament, about halfway through the New uh, Testament, the book of Colossians, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. But as, to recap a little bit over the past several weeks, the first couple chapters in the book of Colossians are very uh, theological. They set a real foundation for what's to come. Uh, the very first uh, message was about living a life worthy of the gospel. That, that's a very practical. We need to live here on earth a life worthy of Jesus, worthy of the gospel. And then the next chapter, the next section that we talked about was what my Bible says, the incomparable Christ. It's about Jesus. Very deep about who Jesus was, that he was before all things, he's in all things. He's more than just a historical person. He is God incarnate that came and lived among us, and he is the center of everything uh, that we teach, everything we preach, and everything that we live. Now we talked about being rooted, Colossians chapter 2, being rooted and built up, that the call of the book of Colossians is to grow up in the Lord, to be mature. Don't be stagnant. Don't just become a Christian and stop. We are called to grow up in the Lord, strengthened in the faith. And then last week, Brian talked about, uh, in the end of chapter 2, about don't settle for shadows. Settle, go for the real thing. Sometimes in life, we tend to focus on things that aren't the real thing. There might be an idol or something that takes the place. And even Christians, it can be good things. Um, and so we need to make sure we don't settle for shadows. And in Brian's uh, message, he, he referenced me and that uh, Barbara and I have a, we, we're Cardinals fans, we go to ball games, and during COVID, you couldn't attend games. And if you remember watching any athletic events during COVID, they would have those cardboard cutouts seated there. And we had a cardboard cutout made of Barb. And I brought it. So here it is. So it's, it's a, we, it was on the left field line, seated next to another cardboard cutout of a cat. That's how weird it is. And so we, we, we have carried this around. I drove here today with this seated in the passenger seat of my car. But it's a perfect illustration 
of what Brian was communicating. That sometimes we settle for second best. We should settle for only the real thing. Jesus is a real thing. We should never settle for shadows. Never settle for second best. It'd be like me, you know, kissing this, you know, and it's like, it, it's not the same. There's the real thing right there. But don't settle for second best. Okay, so today we are uh, going to turn a little bit, and you get to chapter 3 of Colossians, it's like a hinge. It turns from where we are in Christ, and now we're going to turn our attention a little bit to practical Christian living. Practical Christian living, kind of ethics or day-in, day-out living. As a matter of fact, next week, Jake is going to be speaking about the first part of the next chapter, which is about husbands and wives and children and families. Very practical Christianity, where Paul gets very specific about how to live day in and day out. And that's what we start really today. So we're going to turn, uh, you've turned to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to break it down into four sections. The first section is verses 1 through 4, and that's where what I've labeled as the foundation for Christian living. And really what it focuses on is our position in Christ, who we are in Christ. That's, the, that's our position. That's what the, the gram, grammatical people call the indicative, who we are. That's already settled. But the next one is the imperative, what we must do, what we are to become. So we talk about our position for Christ before we talk about what our response should be. Because, you know, you've heard the verse, perhaps, where Paul describes believers as this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. So when a person accepts Christ as their Savior and Lord, they are a new creation. Positionally, they are a new creation. There's no going back. The question is, what's next to start to become what we already are? You know, uh, whenever you see the word, therefore, when you're reading the scripture, there's some key words to look for. Whenever you see the word, therefore, perk up. Underline that, because there, that means that the writer is going to make a main point. Based on everything before, he says, therefore, and then he's going to give the conclusion about what to do next. And we're going to see that in the passages today. So at salvation, we are saved. We are, that's our position in Christ. The real issue is, how do we live that out? What is our experience going to be? So we're gonna, let me read this uh, passage here in, uh, oh wait, hold on just a minute because I want to talk about the big idea. So we put the big idea as something we like to put together where we mention about what's the main point of the message. So I came up with the big idea is this, inner transformation precedes external behavior. That's the order, Ex- internal transformation precedes external behavior. Now, so that true change in our lives comes from within. Now, this was my idea. It's a little clunky. It sounds a little, uh, little uh, difficult. So, I scrapped that big idea, and I went to something that is a little bit simpler. Be who you are. We need to be who we really are. You're a Christian man or a Christian woman. That's who you are. The next one, be it. Live it. It'd be like 
being a lawyer and not practicing law. I have a nephew who finished three years of law school, no small feat, but he didn't show up for the bar exam. So he's a lawyer, but he's not practicing law. It'd be like being a Christian and not living like a Christian. We need to be like we are, like our nature is. Our nature has been changed. We are a new creation in Christ. I want to tell a parable. And uh, a parable is, would be following in the footsteps of the greatest teacher that had ever lived. Jesus used parables. And any time I can take a page out of Jesus' teaching methods, it's a good day. So here's a parable. There's a town where only ducks live. Every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street to their church. They waddle into the sanctuary and they squat down in the pews. The duck choir waddles in and takes its place. Then the duck minister waddles forward, opens the duck Bible, and he reads to them as follows. His challenge to the ducks. Ducks, he says, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. Wings you can mount up and you can soar like the eagles. No walls can confine you, ducks. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly with these wings just like birds. And all the ducks, when the minister finished, all the ducks said, Amen. And then they all waddled home. And what the minister's message was, you're a duck, you have wings, live like it. And the inference to us is pretty strong, you're a Christian, live like it. Let your life show what your inner being is really like. So now, let me read verses 1 through 4 in Colossians 3 and follow along. It says, since then, which is kind of like therefore, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So there's the therefore is in there, the then, and this is the command to us, that because we are, our life is hidden with Christ in God, we are believers, we are to develop a new mind, a new lens for which we see everything. When he says, set your hearts, set your minds on things above, that's a, that's a way of renewing your thinking about everything, seeing all of life through a different lens. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, therefore, this is Paul writing again to believers in Rome. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are called as believers to renew our minds. It's a process. Once we're saved, then the process is we need to renew our minds, to set our minds on things above, set our hearts, our passions, our, our wants and desires on things that are above, on heavenly things, things that are eternal. And the way that the tense is set up here, it is a continual process. It is, it's seek means keep on seeking things above. So that provides the foundation for 
Paul's admonition to get into behavior. And we're going to talk about putting off and putting on in a minute. But it's very important to remind all of us that obedience, Christian living, is a response to God's favor, not as a means of getting God's favor. So let me say that again. Obedience is a response to God's favor, not a means of getting it. See, the basis for Paul's instructions that we're going to go through here today comes only after his description of the redemption of people, that their life is hidden with Christ. They are Christians. Now he calls upon them to take some steps. And Paul uses an analogy of clothing to put on some things after you take them off. Take off, put on. It's, it's a clothing analogy. So here we go. Let me read here in, in uh, verses 5 through 11. And Paul says this. Put to death, therefore, there's our word therefore, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to, you, er, to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, <clears throat> impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but, in, but Christ is all and is in all. So there is a catalog of wrong behavior. And if you notice, the very first part, he talks about put to death these things. That's not try to do better. It's not coddle these things. He says put to death. Mortify. Mortify. That means to slay, to get rid of, to, to be. And so the call for Paul here is to be ruthless about this. Don't just coddle these things. Get rid of them. Mortify them. He says kill them. But I, so this long list of things that we need to put off. And maybe as we read that, you thought about well, there's a thing on there that I identify with. So what on that list might you want to consider getting rid of, mortifying, killing, putting off? I want to highlight three of them that I think are especially relevant to us and to myself. The first one is this. We are to put off sexual immorality. You know, chastity... And sexual purity is one virtue where Christianity stands apart and is countercultural from the world today. We are bombarded with sexual immorality. Our culture, as seen on television, movies, Netflix, books, culture would have you believe that sexual relationships before marriage and outside marriage are normal and acceptable. It's hard to find a good example in the media. And we need to be aware that God is crystal clear about this. There's no, there's no mistake about what God's standard is, because God in his word makes it really clear that sexual relations belong within the confines of a marriage relationship 
between one man and one woman. That's the standard of God. We should never forget that, and when when we're bombarded by culture, weigh that against God's standard. Never forget that. The second one I want to highlight here is Paul in his part of this things to put off talks about anger and he talks about rage. Now this speaks close to my heart because that was my issue. Um, When my youngest daughter was in junior high, uh, she developed a little junior high attitude, but I did not handle that well at all. Uh, and she and I were very alienated. She would come home, she wouldn't say a word, she would eat dinner together, she would go to a room, we wouldn't see her. And she avoided me like the plague. And one day I was talking to Barb and I said, I'm not sure what Faith's problem is. Um, and Barb very timidly says, she's afraid of you. And I did what men do. I said, nah, that can't be the case. Uh, that's, that's what psychologists call denial. Um, but then it sunk in, and I, went, I thought about it, and I, and I prayed about it, and God revealed to me that, yes, that is an issue. It's an attitude of my heart. I need to get rid of anger and rage. Um, I prayed about it, and it so happened that that weekend was a men's retreat that was Promise Keepers, and we went away with men for the weekend to Promise Keepers. And between the speakers, between God working in my heart And through my brothers speaking to me, I was convicted that anger and rage needed to be put off. And I prayed about it, and God miraculously did his part. And he reached into my heart, and I got rid of the anger and rage that I had, especially toward my my, my daughter. But it it manifested itself in many ways. And I've been changed ever since. To put those off. The third one I want to highlight is Paul says, get rid of, mortify, kill filthy language. Now, how relevant is that? Um, The norm, as we see on the media, in real life, in books, no matter what book you might pick up, is that filthy language is not only acceptable, but it's trendy. It's trendy. If you're not using certain filthy words, which I won't name here, you know what they are, Um, you're odd, you're not cool, because cool people talk that way. And we've become accustomed to that, and it's almost become normal and acceptable, some of the language we use and see. But that's beyond really just bad words. We're talking about slander, speaking negatively about other people. We're talking about gossip. That's just all lumped into this filthy language part. God's standard is different. God says, let your speech be pure. Let it be pure. Let your speech be kind. No gossip, no slander. Speak kindly to and about other people. But our speech must be true. True. That's, that's also is something that is different. Now, truth. We need to be men and women speaking the truth. No falsehoods, no exaggerations, no white lies. Verbal precision is what I call it. Speak the truth and only the truth. And you do that, and you will set yourself apart from culture. So we're called by Paul to put off all this bad stuff. We could go through the laundry list, but maybe for you, which of these lists on, or which of these items on Paul's list speaks to you? But how do we do it? Is it a matter of just 
getting the inertia from our within and the guts to deal with an issue, we have a part. There's no doubt about that. We have a part to address it. But self-help won't do it. We need God to come into your heart and change you and help you put off the bad stuff. We cooperate, but we cooperate by receiving the miracles of God to change our heart. So if one of these things on the list appeals to you and you know that you're dealing with that, you need to ask God to change your heart. So Paul in this Colossians, he talks about putting off. Step one, put off all these things. That's your old nature. You're not like that anymore. Get rid of it. Kill it. But then using his clothing example, we know that if you just take off your clothes, you're naked. No one wants to be naked. So Paul goes to step two. Put on these things. Moving to the next section here in verses 12 to 14. Starts out with, therefore. Another key word, therefore. These are things to put on. So let me read it here. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. There's the clothing analogy. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, if you notice a couple things. First of all, he starts out, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's back to our position in Christ. We are chosen. God chose us before the foundation of the world. We are chosen people. We are holy. We are loved. And that's, so our position is that. Then he goes on to say, but you need to do these things. Clothe yourselves with these attitudes. And if you notice, the list here isn't like the bad list. The bad list was lots of bad behavior. Things not to do. Language and and, and rage and anger. Sexual immorality. This is a list of attitudes. These are attitudes and character qualities. Not the specific actions. Because out of inner transformation... Character qualities and attitudes will spring the actions. And if you notice, also, these are attributes that God has shown toward us. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. We are to mimic the character of God. We have received those things, and we need to show those things to other people. So, what of these particular virtues or attitudes do you think you need to clothe yourself in today? Which one stands out to you? Could it be compassion? You need to be a more compassionate person? Does that characterize you? How about kindness? Are you known? Do people say you're a very kind person? How about humility? Do you need to be more humble? Gentleness. We all could use more gentleness. I could use a lot more gentleness. No doubt about that. So where are you gentle in your relationships? Next one, patience. We're going to skip over patience because it strikes too close to home. Um, So we're going to skip over that one. Um, No, the truth of the matter is that's the one that stands out to me. I am an impatient 
an impatient person. I don't like to wait in lines. I don't like to wait in restaurants. Not only I'm I'm impatient for other people. Why can't they be more, move along, move along? It's like, what is the problem? And um, so knowing about it is great. The question is, what am I going to do about it? And what I've thought about doing is, I've told Barbara, I'm just going to go down to Texas Roadhouse when it's busy, and I'm just going to practice waiting. (laughs) Um, That's that's not going to work. Um, which, which, which drives the point home today that it is as much as I try, as much as we try to change, it doesn't work without God. So forgiveness is another one. You know, I want to be more forgiving. And so, and then the, the top one, he says, above all these virtues, put on love. And we all know that elsewhere in the scripture it says, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Love is the virtue that covers all of them. And that's the one we need to strive. And we need to pray to God, God, would you replace this impatience or unforgiveness or hatred in my life, and would you replace it with your love? So, how do we do this? How do we put on these things? Like I said, I, we could try some exercises. I could go to, to uh, uh, Texas Roadhouse and wait. I could read a book. I could maybe go to a counselor. I could... But self-help only gets you so far. We need God. And it's only God that can infuse our lives to help us to put on these right attitudes. You know, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible makes it clear the Holy Spirit came up and lives within you. The real key is, are you controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Because Galatians 5 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, is this. Notice the the words are almost exactly what Paul says in Colossians. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That law, that list follows almost precisely what Paul's talking about. And it can only come by the fruit, not of my good intentions, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit that resides in all of us, if you have turned your life over to Jesus. So true change, putting on, comes from the inside out. So the next section, the last section that I've titled Summary, I've entitled it Living Before the Face of God, Here's the final section and the grand conclusion. Paul writes this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, seeking to God, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now I want to camp for a minute on verse 16, which says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ. That really is the key verse. That's the key verse that allows us to put off and to put on by letting the word of Christ dwell among you richly. So the word of Christ is really the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Christ. It includes the Bible, the Holy Scripture, the the Bible that we have. 
And the, if you look at the wording here, it's we're to let it dwell within us. Now, dwell doesn't mean kind of like stay on the bookshelf. Dwell means live, abide, be among, deeply implanted. Let the word of Christ be deeply implanted in you. And then it says, uses the word richly. That means it is to shine. It is, it is to be, it, it permeate you and overwhelm you as the word of God. So how do you put off the bad behavior and put on godly attributes? The key is the word of God. As you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Eugene Peterson in his message translation translates that Bible this way. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Plenty of room. So there's no doubt that it is a fundamental value of new life that the importance of God's word to our daily Christian walk can never be overemphasized. It deals with practical day-in, day-out living. You know, Paul, who wrote Colossians, also wrote a letter to Timothy. Timothy was a young man that Paul discipled, led to the Lord and discipled. And this is what he says to Timothy. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you, you know those from whom you learned it. It was his mother and his grandmother. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures from infancy. What does that say about our kids' life program? Children need to know the Scripture from infancy. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Holy Scriptures makes us wise for salvation. It is essential to have a knowledge of the Scripture. Then Paul goes on and he talks about Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, meaning from the mouth of God, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that means everybody here, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, to live your life out. Another verse that I love is Hebrews 4.12 is a fantastic verse about the power of the Word of God It's not just words on a page. It is the power of God. It says this, For the word of God is alive and active. Notice the imagery. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What a powerful, powerful thing the word of God is. It it can change your life. It, It will change your life. And the word of God has to be so deeply implanted within us so that it affects not only our attitudes, but our actions as well. So how do you do this? A a tool that I've liked over the years has been what's called the hand illustration. And you can see it up there. It's a little hard to to see. Um, Many of you have seen it. But it talks about how to get a firm grasp of the Word of God. Firm grasp, meaning like you're holding it. So starting with the pinky... It's hearing the word. We are called to hear the word. That's what we're doing here today. We hear the word. But it can't stop there. If you thrive only on a Sunday morning sermon, you're starving. You gotta go, you have to move more if you want to get a firm grasp of the scripture. You need to read it. Second one, read it. Hear it and then read it. Third one is study it. It's more than just hearing it and reading it. Study. Take time. 
to digest it. The fourth one, memorize it. That's a hard one for lots of people. But memorize it. Memorize portions that mean a lot to you. That'll get it into your brain and into your heart. And then the last one is the key, the linchpin, the thumb. The thumb is meditate. Meditate on it. That's what makes the other four come alive. The other four can be kind of head knowledge. But when you take and you meditate it on it, that's how you get a firm grasp. You can't get a firm grasp of a, of a book without the thumb. Meditation is the key. That is where the word comes from your head and penetrates to your heart and changes you from the inside out. And if you notice that, that verse that we talked about where Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Then he goes on to say, as you teach and admonish one another. Interesting that we have a duty to have the word of God dwell in our own lives, but that, it doesn't stop there. That's just about me. It's about, Paul goes on to say, as you teach and admonish one another. We have a duty to each other. We live in community. You can't do this all alone. COVID had a real problem where we were isolated. Community is critical to Christian living. So we are to, the vertical dimension is, I'm to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly, but, I, but all of us are also called upon to deal with horizontally as we teach and admonish one another. We have a duty to be involved in each other's lives. Now, as I read that, I thought, teach and admonish. Admonish is kind of a funny word. Um, it's not quite as strong as like rebuke or correct. But I think we, it's a little bit of a lost art amongst believers that we need to, within community, admonish each other, encourage each other. For example, recently my grandson, uh, Bodhi, uh, had his permit and he got his driver's license. And for those of you that don't know, if you want to take the driving test, you go to Roanoke. You don't go to Pekin. Too many one-way streets in Pekin. Go to Roanoke. It's easier. Um, so he was, had his permit, and he had to do his hours of driving. And, of course, I would drive with him while sitting in the passenger side, stomping the floorboard with my foot like you do. And about a week before his driving test... He's driving home from school. I pick him up at school. He drives my car home. I sit there on the passenger seat. He didn't use his turn signal every time. And I'm thinking, what do I, how do I bring this up to this boy? I could do it. See, see, my problem isn't turning the signal on. My problem is turning it off. So he and I have this banter. I'll yell signal. That means turn it on. He yells signal to Grandpa, meaning turn your signal off, Grandpa. Um, anyway, so... He had his test coming up, and I wanted, I, so I told him, not in the, at the time, but later I said, hey, you know, you got your test coming up, be sure to use your turn signal at your driving test. And I did it gently, not, in the, not being angry or harsh. Um, so I thought that was a good example of how we need to be in each other's lives to gently admonish each other to move forward in our walk with the Lord. It's a, it's a lost art, and we need to live in community as we do this. Let me wrap up with <clears throat> the last verse, which says this, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I've entitled that Coram Deo. Um, Coram Deo is Latin. And you know, what us lawyers do is we like to use Latin phrases because people think we're smart if you use Latin. 
We use words like nunc protunc, de minimis, not curat, lex, and, you know, if so facto. And, and uh, it's a secret amongst the legal profession that people will think we're really smart if we use Latin. Um, I shouldn't give away secrets of the profession, but now that I'm heading out of it, I don't care. Um, <clears throat> but that's a good verse for all of us. Quorum Deo means living before the face of God. Quorum Deo. Living before the face of God. That means living in the presence of God always. We need to live our lives in the presence of God. Everything we do. That's why whatever you do, do it before the face of God. We need to live life with an acute awareness of God's presence at all times. It's kind of like the big idea of the Christian life. The Christian life is God-centered. He needs to be invited into every aspect of our life. Whatever we do in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's living life before the face of God, quorum Deo. So the challenge is this. Getting back to the renewed big idea, be who you are. Become what you already are. So realize, first of all, realize you're a new creation. If you've accepted Jesus into your heart, you are a new creation. You are a new person. You are, as Paul says, chosen. You are holy and blameless. Know who you are in Christ. And if you're not saved today, if you aren't saved and you cannot say for sure that you're saved, you need to nail that down today. But once you're saved, you are in the position of being redeemed by God. Then the the next question is, live like it. Be who you are. You're a child of God. And you have a new life in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And Paul says, therefore, live like it. 